Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Hoburn. My name is Dan Schreiber. I am sitting here with Andrew Hunter-Murray, James Harkin, and Anna Tashinsky. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is Andy. The beep was invented in 1957. Was it? No. Well... (laughs) (laughs) So I got this from uh, uh, an article which I won't name because it turns out now to be incorrect. But (laughs) basically, it's about the beep that happened on the Sputnik satellite. Mm. It was launched in 1957. And really annoyingly, Anna has found about 58 examples of beeps (laughs) dating back to the mid-14th century. And it's just like, (laughs) welcome back, Anna. Thank you so much. Yeah, we didn't get this from Maisie Adam, I'll tell you that much. Listen politely to the facts, didn't question it. But it certainly, the beep became popular and the, a big thing about Sputnik was the fact that it beeped and in fact I think I think that's all Sputnik could do Pretty it basically did, yeah. yeah it was yeah. like it was the size of a big pumpkin and it was a ball of aluminium or metal and it just I would say the beeping. main thing it could do was go around the earth in orbit <laughs> like the beep was secondary almost yeah you're right you're right the main thing was it could fly around the world that's true but no one would have known if it wasn't beeping yes because yeah. it was broadcasting radio pulses it had the, it was it was uh, orbited the earth every hour and a half roughly it beeped for 21 days only but the beep was seen as quite spooky because you could hear it. Ham radio people could tune in and listen to Sputnik. Amazing. Yeah. And Life magazine said it was an eerie, intermittent croak. Mm. And for, oh, for a fair number of people... It doesn't sound like a beep, actually, does it? No. If I guess is... if you don't know what a beep is, because it's only been mentioned five million times <laughs> in history. <laughs> I guess for a, few, for a few people it would have been uh, the first electronic yeah. beep they it's heard. It's pretty amazing, it's, really. Yeah. And it, it was the beep that changed the world, right? Because suddenly the Americans were like, oh, shit. Russia's in space. Yeah. This is evidence because we can hear it beeping. We're going to have to do something about that. And yeah. then they decided to create NASA and go to the moon. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a theory that if if the Soviets hadn't launched Sputnik or America had launched the first satellite, then you wouldn't have had the moon pr- program in the same way. I'm you sure that's might true. Might not have had Apollo. Because yeah. it really frightened America. Oh, it was definitely. Just literally a ball that went beep. But the <laughs> other thing is the reason it was so shiny is because they also. The idea was the guy Karlov who created it or who designed it, he decided that he wanted it shiny so that people would be able to see it in space. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but actually, yeah. it was way too small and no one could see was it. Was it? Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, I, I thought, mean, if you had oh. a really good telescope, you could, but. I think yeah. you could at, like, at dawn and dusk, although you'd have to know where to be pointing. It would probably yeah. be very hard. Uh, the spot. Not really. He wanted it to be quite a lot bigger as well, so that <laughs> yeah. people would be able to see it. <laughs> but it really did freak people out at the time. Even um, uh, Khrushchev said, now we not only have a rocket that can fly to other countries, but we have a satellite that flies around the world. I don't have to point to this with my finger. Any idiot can see it. They might as well put bombers and fighters in the museum. You know, he was just like alluding to like, we're now the well, superpower. No, it's, nu- it's nukes, isn't it, is what he's referring to. If we can put that of course. up there, yeah, yeah, then, yeah. you know, our technology Sophisticated and, the, to, and the yeah. Americans not long after tried to send up their satellite. That didn't work. It was called Kaputnik, I think they called it. Uh, not the Americans, the Russians, oh, yeah. making okay, fun yeah. of it. Um, <laughs> it. Yes, that was. It was called um, va- the Vanguard. Yeah, Vanguard so, so, one. Yeah, and they and they sort of panicked after Sputnik, and it was a, what a month, two months later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, it was so embarrassing. It exploded on the launch pad. Then it fired into a nearby swamp. But unfortunately, the firing into a swamp had made the sensors on board think, "Oh, great, we're in orbit." So then it just started <laughs> beeping from the swamp. <laughs> so embarrassing. It's yeah. just mortifying. As well as Kaputnik, it was also known as Flopnik, Puffnik, or Stayputnik. <laughs> oh, Stayputnik! I love that. That's great. It's not often you think that Soviet Russia was a really fun place to be, but I think for that week it would have been a really fun place to be hanging out oh, in Russia. L- hilarious. Just comedy gold. Um, well, do you know why it didn't? they didn't choose the other project called Project Orbiter which um, had more advanced technology um, within it and it was run by someone, and here's your clue, it was run by Werner von Braun mm-hmm. who was, would you, in German you'd say Braun, not Braun. Oh, I thought it was Braun. You'd say, yeah. would you say Braun? In, the UK, in English he's known yeah, as von Braun. As in, oh, I know him as von Braun. That's how oh, I know. Okay, yeah. Well. Yeah. So it was managed by Werner von Braun who 
who was a Nazi and uh, the Americans thought it might be a bit awkward if our first satellite that we get into mm. space was built by a Nazi so oh, he was really? a Nazi who was at the end of the war as were quite a few Nazi scientists he was taken on by America so they could get Nick Nazi technology yeah. and so yeah. they started using his brain and then and his brawn and his brawn <laughs> 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 okay, that's it. We can all go home now. <laughs> I like one of the cultural things that happened with this is that um, in the way that everything after Watergate became gate, oh, yeah. Nick became popularized in Western culture. So there was Peace Nick, there was Beat Nick, uh, Neat Nick, or all different words. But Beat Nick is one that's really stuck out for us. It came from Nudnik. Which is a Yiddish word, meaning a bit of a... Muppet. It did. Nick was already used Nick was already being uh, used, okay. yes. But suffix. it popularised. It was popularised. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, Nick is getting in, over in Russian, Nick is just... It means a person. Like, Oof. as in, you know... Someone called Nick. Podcast Nick would be someone who makes podcasts. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. You know how we're saying it was a massive deal, and, you know, Khrushchev made this huge speech saying, we've conquered the world now, etc. Yeah. Well... <laughs> They launched Sputnik, mm. and then no one really got that it was a big deal. Khrushchev announced it to the cocktail party he was at, and everyone sort of politely clapped and didn't understand <laughs> it. Pravda, the next day, it was like a little thing way down on their yes. front page. It was, and it was almost not on the front page. It was almost it, not on the front page. It got less prominence than Marshal Zhukov visiting Yugoslavia, which arguably, in historical terms, turns out to have been a smaller story. <laughs> <laughs> how interesting. So why did they do that? Because it was because of how the world reacted. Um, it was because so the West, the West Reacted the West the reacted. The West right. So the next day, the next day I in Pravda, see. it was all over the headlines oh. because the US had suddenly, you know, the New York Times headline was, "Oh my God, they've beaten us. We're flattened. We're ruined." And Russia went, "Oh, bugger, this, maybe this is a huge deal that we've mm. done this. Well done, us." And then they got really excited <laughs> yeah, about no, it. I, I did read a report saying Khrushchev announced it, like he got the news from the launch pad, whatever that it was in orbit, and smiled and was happy and announced it to the room, and then went to sleep that night. But, but the alternative to that is him remaining permanently awake <laughs> for the rest of his life. <laughs> <laughs> in America, there were lots of restaurants that released merch. There was Sputnik lollipops. Um, there was a toy manufacturer did a scooter, which was just the same scooter, but they called it Pednik. Um, there were spherical containers that held ice creams. They would put antennas on top so that you would have the straw as the Sputnik kind of look, because they had antennae that were coming out. Yeah, so the lollipops itself. have multiple. Um, I reckon the pole stalks. is the. Poles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it, it, had, it had multiple antennae, right? Did it have two or four? Four, I think. Four. Yeah, that's true. That's really hard to eat a lollipop, which has got four sticks sticking out. Yeah. Them. Or four people can eat it at the same time. Hold <laughs> one stick and then lick it. <laughs> no? How many kids have you got, Dan? Three, three. kids? Yeah. yeah. If you could have a, one lollipop that you would buy them, and Perfect. all three of them could eat you it. You'd contain them. If They'd be in one location. <laughs> I don't know, I think... <laughs> sorry, but if they're all licking one lollipop at the same time, people are going to think they're snogging. <laughs> social services will get involved. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, that's true. And then the next thing that happened... So, obviously, America's smashed back on its heels, it's reeling. The next thing that happens, Sputnik 2. And this one's big, and it's got a dog on it. Yeah. And that's, you know, like that. <laughs> and that was when they invented the bark, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was poor bloody Laika, yeah, who yeah. had a pretty rotten time in space and then and yeah. then sort of conked out. Um, and Which means a... Barker, in fact, Laika, yes. yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But what, what all this was leading up to was the 40th anniversary of the Soviet Union being founded, right? Because it's 1957, October, you know, October Revolution, all of that stuff, or November, depending on the calendar. Anyway, what... What the, there was a theory in the West that the Soviet Union was launching a third Sputnik, which was going to go to the moon mm. with a hydrogen bomb on it. Oh. And an elephant. And, <laughs> and there was a lunar eclipse coming up, so the moon was going to be completely blotted out, you know, in the shadow of the sun, or shadow of the Earth, sorry. So the theory was that they were going to detonate the bomb against the moon and create a kind of super full moon, because it would wow. be even brighter than a normal full moon yeah. with this, you know... Um, and um, anyway, they weren't doing that. Well, they did do lots of Sputnik. Well, Sputnik just means satellite. So right. anything that they send up is a Sputnik, basically. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, they've done 20-odd, I think, yeah. now. But not, none of them have been the moon blowing up, <laughs> no, which, no, no. which was a stupid idea. I don't even think I'd know if I saw something that was a bit brighter and a bit bigger than the moon, because you haven't got the actual moon to compare it to. Uh, yeah, maybe. Well, it would be a full moon for a, a second as the detonation happened. You do would you think not, something like, was up. Every now and then, like once every month or so, do you not go outside and go, oh, the moon's quite big today? 
tonight. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a certain time of day, isn't it? Yeah. Do you think that's always a Sputnik? I think that's it. Every morning when the moon is near the horizon, that's the Russians blowing it up. Wow. Oh, they're wasting a lot of resources on this. Um, Yuri Gagarin, first man to orbit the Earth. Yep. Uh, yeah. Cosmonaut. First man in space. First man in space. Was he? I Gagarin, thought someone yeah, had tried, yeah. gone up a bit before that, but not. Gone past the car man line. He was the first. So that's space. Yuri, so Yuri's, Karman. yeah, acknowledges okay. first. Now that I'm a car man waiting in the sky was originally <laughs> written about that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> he was five foot two, which yeah. means that he would only just qualify it to be an air stewardess on Ryanair. Right. But, which was his dream, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's what he was trying to do all that time. He yeah. was just trying to get the attention of Michael O'Leary. Yeah, it was really dressed. bad, because the first time he went in space, it was one thing, but he had to pay for his seat. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know uh, the space dogs? The Soviet ones? Like yes, like um, Well, there's an argument that they preserved peace and stopped the world from um, imploding, exploding due to nuclear attack. And here is the argument. Um, so in 1960, the Soviets sent up some more dogs. They were called Belka and Strelka. And they went into orbit with um, some rats and a rabbit and some flies. And they orbited the world 17 times and they came back down and they were big celebrities. They had chat shows and stuff. Because these were <laughs> chat shows. I don't think they actually hosted their own chat shows. Sorry. I think they might have just guessed it. <laughs> they may have been a small segment. But hosting is a good idea. Every week the guest has to feed Belker and Strelka. I think that's a really nice idea. Lovely. <laughs> Let's pitch it. It's our next commission. Um, anyway, so they were the first dogs who survived because uh, some people were a bit sad that Laika didn't. Anyway, soon after that JFK and Khrushchev and their wives had a meeting a summit um, in Vienna and it was awkward as things often were at the time between America and the USSR and then Jackie Kennedy broke the tension by saying to Khrushchev oh what happened to those two lovely dogs that you sent into space by the way Mm. and Khrushchev said oh they actually had puppies do you want on. And he posted her, so a few weeks Post- later... <laughs> <laughs> it arrived, unfortunately, not quite as yeah, alive as it was when the he Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah. That was the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he put the bubble wrap in the envelope and it was fine. <laughs> um, yeah, so a puppy arrived at the White House. Were they, called, it, were they called Pupniks? I actually think they might have called them Pupniks. That would make sense. That rings a bell. It would mm. make sense. I think they had the same sense of humour as you did yeah. in the White House okay. at the time. Oh, Spotnik, like Spot the Dog. Oh, yeah, Spotnik. Yeah. Nice. Mutnik, Mutnik. There we go. Yeah, Mutnik. very good. Yeah. Mutnik. Just edit out my one. You got three really good ones. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but keep that comment in so everyone will always wonder. And write in with your speculations as to Annie's shit suggestion. <laughs> Uh, anyway, he was a White House pet, puppy pet, and it really uh, um, calmed things down. I mean, obviously, uh, things didn't <laughs> remain calm for the subsequent 30 years. Those um, um, Bjelka and Strelka are the only ones that you learn about in Russian schools, really. They don't really mention Laika very much. Uh, yeah. So sad. After Laika went up, dog lovers worldwide protested. There was a march at the UN with featuring dogs wearing protest signs. Wow. Yeah. He was also a producer of a chat song saying, what am I going to do now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, can we say a thing or two about beeps? Mm. Oh, sure, show. yeah. Um... We don't have time to list all the previous beeps prior to this one. <laughs> Let's see how far we get. Um, so this is a really fun thing about beeps. Skodas, right, the cars. Oh, yeah. They get te- the horns get tested, don't they? Car horns get tested. Sure. And, and these days, they're tested way more in the development process than they ever have been before. Okay. So Skodas in the 70s were tested 50,000 times to make sure they wouldn't run out of beeps after that. Uh, Sorry, uh, you, you, you beeped a horn 50,000 times before selling the car. I don't think. I don't think. <laughs> you beeped it 50,000 and first, no. and it ran out. You do no, that in the no. car dealership. I'm just going to do a quick... That doesn't happen <laughs> to every car that Skoda sells. <laughs> okay. It happens in the... testing happens. It the development process. Because I have a Skoda and I've got this big handprint <laughs> in the middle of my steering wheel. And I've wondered why. Did they not crash test every car before they sell them as well? Right. <laughs> just going to drive this into a wall before we send it to you, sir. <laughs> so no, sorry, they yeah. test it. But that, but these days, electric scooters they get one hundred and fifty thousand. But that that's regionally specific. And when they sell cars in India, they're tested five hundred thousand uh, times because in India, use of the car horn is way bigger. Like everyone really? is beeping okay. all the time, so they have to test half a million honks before. Wow, I gotta so say, in India, like they do honk in the way you're supposed to honk. 
as in the only time you're ever supposed to honk is if someone if to let someone know you're there to stop an accident right if you drive in india they're doing that <laughs> because they're about to drive into you and they're yeah. honking and stuff yeah, yeah they don't do it in the uk like honk honk the traffic light's <laughs> gone you need to move like oh yeah, yeah that's true they do proper honking in india that's i think true. you're also encouraged to honk as a way of saying goodbye to someone you're not going to see for a few weeks <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's actually, yeah, that's I'm the only sure other time. Is no, that the highway code? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, honk if you love blah, whatever's on the sign at the side <laughs> of the road. That's important too. <laughs> so, when buying a car, as well as asking for mileage, you should ask for honkage. Is that what we're many, saying? How many honks you got? How many honks you packed into this bad boy? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that William Gladstone once cancelled an evening engagement so he could binge on the latest popular drama series. (laughs) (laughs) So, this is William Gladstone, who um, was a British Prime Minister, and uh, quite famously quite dour and serious and whatever, so I quite like the idea of him, you know, watching Breaking Bad or or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. But obviously this wasn't that. This was The Woman in White, uh, which was a story by Wilkie Collins, which was originally done in... um, Serials. It was originally sold in breakfast cereals. (laughs) It was a free gift at the bottom of Carflex boxes. And it was originally done in cereals in magazines. And then the entire book came out in 1860, I think, 1859, 1860. And he got it and he wanted to read it. So he just cancelled his... I love it. It's so great. I love it. Imagine... What if he was taking a date, though? Do you still love it? Oh, what if the um, date went to the theatre and was like, "Where's Willie?" <laughs> and he's with Wilkie. Um, he's with William Wilkie. Will- you don't get. Was he called Wilkie? Was that his name? No, it was his middle name. So he was William Wilkie Collins. Okay, yeah. but I'm just saying you don't get Wilkies anymore. But no. actually, he wanted to be called Wilkie, so he insisted that you never call him Mr. Collins, or oh. you never call him William Collins, or whatever. Yeah. He insisted that everyone just called him like Cher or Madonna. He was just Wilkie. Really? Well, because yeah. his, his dad and his <clears throat> grandfather, I think, were both Williams as well. Uh-huh. So I think it was one of those cases where the middle name suddenly became mm. the first name, and it was a honorary first first but name. But as in, like, he wanted us to drop the surname as well. We yeah. should just be saying Wilkie. Well, that's what he wanted. But you well, know. I think we should do what, show some respect for the guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Oxford Dictionary of National Biography says it was typical of his dislike of formality. Because he was quite an, he was an quite, odd cookie. He was a rum cove. <laughs> he was rum. Um, can we talk about the book quickly? Just yeah, Because yeah. yeah. the book is... Um it's really good. It's, uh, it's have you read good. it? I have read it. I mean, years and years ago. Yeah, I have. Yeah. I'm really I've read, excited to. I've read hit. I've read the Woman in White and the Moonstone. And he wrote, uh, I think, about twenty novels, and those are the two sort of big hits. I've read um, the first fifty pages because I bought it on Tuesday. And pretty good. It's really big. It's it? really big. It's huge. But they got oh paid by God. writing a chapter at a time. So you yeah. would, you would, you just and what, so it came out in this magazine. It was a Dickens owned magazine called All the Year Round. And when it was first published in chapter form, chapter by chapter, sales went from forty thousand to three hundred thousand. It was mega. Yeah. It was so exciting. But it's weird that he caused Dickens's publication to become so popular because he actually kind of hero worshipped Dickens. Didn't he? Whereas really, Dickens should have been thanking him for making his magazine all year round or whatever mm-hmm. go yeah. through the roof. Well, he was younger. He was a protege of Dickens, and then Dickens yeah. quickly fell in love with him, and sort of the roles slightly reversed, where he sort of was inspired by Wilkie's writing. But he did do this weird, like Dickens um, tribute tour. Because we've talked about Dickens travelling around the world and giving lectures, and then he immediately travelled around the world giving public readings and going to the same locations that Dickens had. Wow. I think he took holidays at Dickens' favourite holiday resorts. Did he? he? And then they fell out, didn't they? Did they? Yeah, they fell out because um, Charles Dickens's daughter Kate married uh, Wilkie Collins's brother Charles, <laughs> oh. uh, and they really properly fell out. And then Collins started really slagging off all of his books. He called Ooh. Barnaby Rudge the weakest book that Dickens ever wrote. To be fair, that's true, and I don't think that's necessarily slagging off his books, is it? He I was mean, ranking them. He was ranking, he's ranking them. them yeah. Imagine if, yeah. if I ranked all the episodes of this podcast in order, <laughs> which I definitely haven't. So well, we should. Um... He then <laughs> went on to say that Dombey and Sons no. 
intelligent person can have read it without astonishment of the badness of it. Yeah, I guess that's a really critique. And called um, Edwin Drew the melancholy work of a worn-out brain. Oh, God. Oh, well, that was fun. unfinished. That's unfair. Yeah, and he must have said it after Dickens died as <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. right? He yeah. was, I, there's stories that he was asked to finish Drew because they thought yeah, he that he, he knew Dickens so well in mm. the writing style. Well, that's weird. Because Collins, when he was writing a book called No Name, he got really ill, and Dickens offered to take over. He really? said, I know you don't need the help, but if just in case you do want that finished, I can do it for you. So yeah. they both were you know, involved in that kind of project. That thing of them, so Dickens' daughter marrying yeah, Wilkie Collins' yeah, yeah. brother, I guess they would have been the same age because Collins was a much younger man. But part of the reason yeah. that Dickens really didn't like the situation was that um, Wilkie Collins' brother, Charles, was apparently a complete just like milk toast wet blanket well he wasn't very wet because he refused to have baths oh. um, because he almost drowned when he was five years old uh, and he was petrified by water for the rest of his life and wouldn't even get oh, into a bath wow. right okay that might have been part of it but it's so weird because they looked apparently both sibling and child Dickens's daughter Katie they both looked the most like like, Wilkie Collins' brother looked just like him, and Katie Dickens looked just like Charles Dickens. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. So she weird. had the little goatee beard, didn't she? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's um, very funny. They met through a bloke called Augustus Egg. That was yeah. their mutual cool. friend. <laughs> really? I know. Who did? Wilkie and Dickens? Dickens the... and, and Collins, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And they, um, they went on holiday with Egg. And um, Collins lectured Egg on art and hummed <laughs> opera airs incorrectly and interminably, is the report. The meeting of those two, they actually met because they were acting in the same play at the time, right? So Dickens brought him onto a production. The play that they met in was by Edward Bulwer-Lytton, who wrote <laughs> It Was a Dark and Stormy Night. Yeah. He's oh. the guy who wrote that sentence. Yes. And this is the great thing. Okay, so this links back to The Woman in White, because Bulwer-Lytton hated The Woman in White. He mm. said it was great trash. Mm. I think he meant big trash rather than, like, oh, it's great trash, you know. And the point is that Bulwer Lytton had had his wife Rosina committed to an asylum a couple of years before. Oh. And that plotline is in The Woman in White. How interesting. And all of Collins's works, in some way, loads of them are about women being mistreated by men or being, yeah. uh, you know, be, like. There's very much a spoiler men. if you haven't read The Woman in White, by the way. Oh, um, yeah, that's fine. Then, like, start from the end at this stage. Can I just <laughs> say, I don't think we should be giving spoilers to classic works <laughs> <Yeah>. in <literature. laughs> Yeah, and, uh, but Collins dedicated the book to the, uh, the man who, the Commissioner for Lunacy was his title, hmm. who had helped release Rosina from the asylum. Really? So obviously, Borwellitton hated the book because it was such a, such a slam on him and yeah, him, right. it turns out and Pretty yeah much. that makes sense because um, I was reading an obituary of Wilkie Collins just after he died and this friend of his who was writing it said that when he wrote The Woman in White Collins had told him he received a letter from Rosina Lytton's wife who said I really enjoyed your book but I thought the villain Count Fosco I thought the villain was a really poor villain not realistic at all you know next time if you want a villain come to me <gasps> I have my eyes upon a villain every minute of the day it is my husband <gasps> <gasps> So one of those things that happened when the book came out is it was one of those things we've spoken about where uh, when things take off, the merch just starts rolling in. You know, there was a waltz uh, that was named after it. There were cloaks, there were hats, perfumes were made that were sort of Mm. like meant to be the woman in white's perfume. It was just full of merch around London. Walter became a fashionable name for babies because there's a character right. called Walter. Did it? That was a thing. Yeah, Walter's the hero, isn't he? The bo- kind yeah. of slightly boring hero, and the heroine is slightly boring as well. Wow! So I'm not allowed to spoil the ending, but you're allowed to spoil the fact that people in it are slightly boring. <laughs> Terrible. Is that a spoiler? I think that's more of an opinion. <laughs> um, um, do you know what really annoys me about basically all adaptations? And this applies to lots of stuff. Um, but I'm going to use Woman in White to vent. There have been loads of films and TV series Mm. uh, of it over the years. And the most recent was 2018, I saw, with Jessie Buckley in it, who's an attractive actress. And the thing that I remember from The Woman in White is that um, there are these two quite extreme characters who are the real good characters. There's Count Fosco, who's this hugely fat um, Italian villain. And then there's Marion, who is very sharp, very bright, very bold, and very ugly. Uh, she's like got a moustache, she's got a huge masculine jaw. Mm. She's ugly enough that Walter's almost repulsed by her when because she looks really attractive from behind. It's one of those <laughs> like a weird um, sort of 90s rom-com reveal. And she turns around and he's like, oh, that face. Is this uh, Shallow Hell? Is Shallow Hell based on Woman in White? I think you misunderstood Shallow Hell if you thought she looked attractive from behind. <laughs> Um, and yeah, every single adaptation, she's not ugly. How interesting. Uh-huh. Do you think that the actors are taking away jobs from 
ugly actors. I genuinely do. I do really, they, do they I find it incredibly annoying. In they, no, they sort of make themselves look a bit tomboyish. Okay. And like, okay. I think it's bullshit you in entertainment they, today. Yeah, yeah, you don't do it with men. They do, Why? No, they, they do fit people up a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they just pick a fit actress to play an ugly role because they think that people can't handle watching an unattractive woman. Okay, do, yeah. Do they mention it in the dialogue, like as in people go up to her in the movie and go, "You're an ugly person," <laughs> <laughs> and she's just there looking stunning, yeah. and like, "Oh yes, I know this face." <laughs> oh, stop! Yeah. I'm a complete dog. <laughs> yeah, it does have uh, the Jack Reacher books. Those were adapted, and they put Tom Cruise in the role, and that was the biggest uproar about the whole thing. That, is that he's meant to be six foot ten? He's, he's yeah. meant to be really. Hulkingly massive, and, and then you've got not this. like that's just drastic miscasting. As in, obviously Tom yeah, Cruise yeah. is brilliant, but he doesn't look like Jack Reacher, who I think at one point stops a bullet with his chest. <laughs> <laughs> what? I think at one point in the oh books. Anyway, um, can we talk a bit about Wilkie Collins? Yeah. And his, um, so his health situation was quite interesting because mm. it was bad. Yeah. He had bad health. Hmm. Um, if he, he had good health, it wouldn't be nearly as interesting. Unless it was really good. What if it was so good he was still alive? Then you'd be interested. <laughs> yeah. No, as it was, he had um, uh, neuralgia, rheumatism, spasm suffocation. I don't think we know what that was. Gout in the eyes, uh, a boil on his groin. Um, at one point, his partner Caroline had to mesmerise his feet to try and cure them. Oh, wow. Yeah. What, how do you mesmerise? We've talked about mesmerism before, but how do yeah. you do you it know, to feet? You know when you uh, sit down on your leg for too long and it goes to sleep? Yeah. Is that that's, it? That's, yeah. It's got to be that. Yeah, it's got to yeah. be something like that. You just sat on, sat on them. <laughs> I don't know. Because he had gout eyes, so he couldn't do it through mesmerising his eyes. Like, they were really bunged up. Well, they? You don't get gout in your that's eyes. That's what I thought. Well, no, I know, but when you read the descriptions of what happened to his eyes, they yeah. were bleeding, they were pussy, they were... But I believe, again, this is based on this obit written by his friend. He said that he went round to his house when he was older and he couldn't stop looking at his eyes because they looked so weird and he couldn't really meet your eye properly. Mm. And eventually Colin said, I see you're looking at my eyes. I know it's distracting. I've got gout eye. <laughs> and the friend implies, and we know this is a fact, that it's probably all the laudanum he was taking, which yeah, caused yeah, his yeah. eyes so to go quite blurry yeah. oh, rather course. than... It wasn't yeah. a disease of the eye. He was just off his face It's going to be time. great in his biopic when Tom Cruise is playing him. <laughs> they're saying, your eyes, they're horrible, <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, he was taking enough to kill six people every day. Yeah. Um, wow. And he was also taking poppers in about the same amount uh, for his heart. Did was he a student in the early 2000s? <laughs> Wait, did poppers? I didn't think poppers existed. I didn't well, remember. Well, amyl nitrate. Oh, right. So, yeah, that's. They didn't come in those fun, colourful packets that they do now. I d wouldn't apparently. know, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and he was taking arsenic as well at oh the same time. Oh, will be. All that meant that he saw ghosts all the time. No. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he thought he had a doppelganger, a ghost yeah. Wilkie, that was with him all the time. <laughs> it was just a mirror, wasn't How it? did he come up with that amazing name <laughs> for the ghost? He's one of the best. Uh, yeah, wow. he would, like Dan says, the um, the doppelganger would be around, there would be ghosts pushing down the stairs when he's trying to go up to bed, so he couldn't kind of, a bit, you know that dream that people have where you just can't get up a hill and yeah, you're kind yeah, of yeah. in quicksand, that kind of thing, but it was ghosts pushing him down, and then wow. when he got to the top of the stairs, he would be met by a green woman with tusks. Oh. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think maybe only taking enough um, to kill five people a day might be a good <laughs> idea, Will? No, no. Um, and his love life as well was absolutely. Um, it was just really interesting. It was kind of for the time, I guess. It was interesting uh, because he was so monogamous. <laughs> <laughs> He's very healthy. No, interesting even for today. I would say, Dan. Like if someone, if someone these days had this love life, I would be interested. I want to know more. He didn't want to marry. Fine. And he was in a relationship with a woman called Caroline Graves. Um, she was a widow. She had a child from an earlier relationship. And then he started an affair with uh, a woman called Martha Rudd, right? And she was, I think, about 20 when they met. And they had three children together. Caroline Graves didn't love this. She went off to marry someone else. Um, fair enough. Fair, completely fair enough. And he actually went to the wedding, so it might have been all... I think it was quite friendly. Yeah. yeah. I got the impression there wasn't too much resentment. So that's good. Um, so then Wilkie Collins is in a relationship with this new woman, Martha Rudd. They have three children together. He sort of keeps them in a flat away from his house. And he has sort of he only wants to be known as Dawson when he goes over, I think. <laughs> cool. Uh, and he, does, he just sort of has an assumed name for the landlady. He doesn't want any publicity, all of that. But then Caroline, his previous partner, her marriage doesn't work out. So she comes back. She lives with him. And... Um, that he has, he's just rattling between two families back and forth and then sometimes he takes them all on holiday together to Ramsgate and puts them in boarding houses next to each other 
and all the kids play together and they have a great time. I think the kids play together, but the women never meet. Yeah, it's oh. weird. It's so weird. Yeah. And he's at one, I presume, at one house or the other all the time. Wow. And they just have to kind of, that's the situation. It sounds like a sort of amateur play where the women are both played by the same person. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's so implausible <laughs> that they never meet. They live basically on the same street. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah the exactly. Kids it's like together. they walk out of the door and they're like, oh, you just missed her. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And she sprints a bit out of breath. It's <laughs> <laughs> married Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> yeah. Do you know when Martha was born? Um, no. She was born in Martham. <laughs> <laughs> that Crazy. sounds like you just conjugated her name. <laughs> yeah, it's the accusative, actually. Yeah, um, very unimaginative parents. That's Martham amazing. in Norfolk. I was going to say, where the heck is Martham? I think it's a village. A village in Norfolk. In Norfolk. That's um, so good. So did they name her after the village? Not that's clear. I did try to find out. Funnily enough, wasn't one of those facts that's been recorded to history as far good as I job she tell. wasn't born in Peniston. <laughs> <laughs> if you are in Martham listening to this now, please write in. Yeah. Just tell us what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> Send us a photo. <laughs> Anna, a bit unsure about that, but you don't do the emails anymore, Anna. It's oh, yeah, Anna's sorry. Emails. Of course, inundate us with emails. <laughs> Everyone from Martha. If you've ever been to Martha, or indeed any place beginning with that, then write it. Because the last time I said that, I said something like, if you are eating particular foods in America right now, and it was thanks to that bloke, David Fairchild, who imported them all, mm-hmm. and we got a lot of emails of people eating avocados, right. people eating <laughs> rice, I can't remember what it was, but it was, it was a lot. Uh, yeah. um, Martha tended... So, Martha um, said she could have married Wilkie Collins whenever she wanted. That was a bit of a lady doth protest too much thing. Um, But um, she didn't go to his funeral, nor did their kids weirdly okay. but then she did she, she was there but she was called Caroline Gray <laughs> yes, <laughs> where's Martha <laughs> oh, I just need to go to the loo <laughs> um, after Caroline died she took over tending Wilkie Collins grave so it just seems like oh, there's so okay. much happening but below the surface we don't know about Caroline was also <laughs> buried in that grave yes Caroline was buried in the same plot well, I suppose she tended Caroline's grave as well but <laughs> she quickly dug herself into the coffin for a while <laughs> Oh, thanks for looking after my grave. Climbs out of the coffin. No problem. (laughs) Okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that 15th century Korean royals had their lives so thoroughly documented that the records include kings complaining about their recorders recording them. So... (laughs) This was sent to me by my friend Mark Vent. I'd never heard of it. It's called the Annals of the Joseon Dynasty, where basically they recorded literally everything. Included in these accounts, in 1404, for example, there was a king who fell off a horse by accident. He was really embarrassed, and he went up to the guy recording it, saying, can you not put in the whole horse falling thing? And the guy put it in. So we've got an account of the king then bitching about the guy going, I bet he's put in the horse thing, hasn't he? <laughs> saying, stop writing! No, no, stop writing that! <laughs> yeah. Don't write that either, you bastard! <laughs> like, you know the, uh, the never-ending story? There's a character sitting on the top of a mountain transcribing everything. This is, is basically how they treated mm. their entire dynasty. And um, as a result, we've got 500 years' worth of complete records of the king and all of the king's administrators. It's and Yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's such a good idea. Like, unlike now, where literally this week, we're hearing that people are deleting WhatsApps every... You know, they're doing mm. government business and they're deleting the WhatsApps mm. every seven days. So yeah. we never know what they said and... You're right, what? if we'd had this system, they couldn't have done it, because exactly. the, the king wasn't even allowed to see it. Was he wasn't he allowed to see it. After he died, you weren't allowed to look at the recordings of what you'd done and yeah, said. Yeah, exactly. The rules were very strict about who couldn't, couldn't look in the, the annals, but they were broken sometimes. Absolutely, yeah. So there was, I read an account of a tyrant king who looked in the annals, and then six people were executed because of what he'd found written in there. So <laughs> I think after that, they probably had to tighten up the rules. Maybe he was the reason the kings then weren't allowed to look in the annals. Well, so what it was, I mean, I don't know if this is the specific account you're talking about yeah. but the the people who were writing the histories often went back in to change what they've written because the king wasn't allowed to look at what happened mm. uh, you know he'd have to die and then people could look at what was said about him mm. but politicians would get word that maybe something was written down so the histographers would go back into it and kind of change it and the king found out about that and he got really pissed off that they were more petrified of the politicians than the king himself mm. of what the king would do mm. and then that got banned you weren't allowed to then go in and change your they own were known story as the literati purges weren't they <laughs> 
and the one Andy's talking about, who was Yon Sangun, who yeah. was the um, tyrant king, he closed down the university uh, and turned it into his personal pleasure grounds where he would import young girls from around the provinces. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also demolished a huge area where people were living in the capital and turned it into his own hunting grounds. Oh. Uh, and then when everyone complained, he told his ministers they weren't allowed to speak and they had to wear a sign saying, a mouth is a door that brings in disaster. A tongue is a sword that cuts off a head. I really thought it was going to rhyme. <laughs> it probably <laughs> it did t- in, in Korean. Korean yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, wait, a plaster, a so- it feels like you could have said plaster at some point. A tongue is a sword that... Calls for plaster, yeah. It's for plaster. Uh, yeah, wait, what's, your, what's, your, what's the mouth? A mouth is a door that brings in disaster. A tongue is a sword that calls for plaster. That's good. It's not amazing, but it's something oh, like to work it. with. I think it's good. What are the teeth? Something mm-hmm. knocked out by your master. Oh, very good. Lovely. Yeah. Anyway, he sounds like a rotter. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was really strange. So the, there were eventually about two thousand volumes yeah. of this stuff. Two thousand volumes, and it was all sorts of it was all sorts of clobber as well. It was the weather, it was diplomatic affairs, it was the economy, it was you know. Probably quite a boring job to actually do it oh, day in day out, yeah. scribbling away. And you must have had this constantly say, "So you need to slow down, please." So, sorry, <laughs> can you say that again? Yeah, <laughs> and, and then you had to write that down. <laughs> yes. yes. And, then, and then I wrote down, "Can you slow down, please?" <laughs> sorry, can you fall off the horse again? But slower yeah. <laughs> yeah it's 1967 books in total is what they have they say if you stacked it it would be taller than a 10-story building is the is the height we're talking mm. of these books which is just a fun means nothing but that's quite fun as a visual yeah, yeah. um <laughs> thank but, you yeah, for but, explaining why you've mentioned it but, but the point that they make in this thing is until it's been digitized it was an intensely hard history to get your head around because because you've got to climb nine stories to get to the one you want <laughs> yeah Exactly. Well, if you're, there's no, it's not a history book. It's not written like here's the story of the king. Oh, you've I got see. a bit of the king, and then mm. you've suddenly got the weather report. And you've suddenly, it's a, all, you have to hunt through 1,900 volumes to find the thing you're looking for. Yeah. Obviously, there's, you know, when there's, there's periods. Stuff, yeah, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. But now it has been digitized, right? It has, yeah. Uh, and it's the plan is to translate them into English by the year 2033. Okay. Um, um, this dynasty was a um, was an interesting one. It was a very long lasting dynasty. Yeah, yeah five hundred years. Yeah, yeah. five hundred. Thirteen ninety two until well, accounts vary, but I'm going with nineteen ten. Mm, controversial. Japan, well, um, <laughs> Japan invaded Korea at, at that point. Certainly that was pretty anyway. controversial. That was quite, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the 14th century, when it started, it was you know the big deal was that they were moving from an old aristocracy to state-trained bureaucrats who were running the show, and that was you know. It was it was very much in the Eastern tradition of meritocracy having preceded us. Well, they were just much more organised than we were. It was they? a meritocracy as long as you weren't a woman. Oh God, yeah, women had an absolute whale of a time. Of course, there was um, ruling from behind the bamboo screen was a thing in the Choson Dynasty, which was when um, if you were a regent, so obviously if a male royal hadn't come of age yet and you were the mother, then you could rule, but you had to sit behind a bamboo screen at the time while he sat on the throne, acting like he was saying stuff. Oh. Like the Wizard of Oz. Do you have your hand yes. up, up his bum at the time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a glove puppet. Yeah, like exactly. I, I got where you were going. But... I mean, if we thought that Dan's three kids licking the same lolly was going to get social services in. <laughs> um, the ruling from behind the screen, that's quite cool. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. cool. We've spoken about, about that before, well, haven't we? We've spoken about it in, um, in Russia. Russia. Yeah, yeah. With, with someone was behind literally the uh, the throne. The chair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. Just go. Why don't you say? Yeah. But here you weren't hit. Like they knew you were there because it was a big screen, maybe with some nice pictures on it. Um, but happened quite a lot. If your grandmother or your mother ruled, um, wow. there was one queen I think who ruled for about twenty five years from behind a screen. What? Really? Oh, with really? the same regent? Yeah. It's kind of that you're not ready yet. So yeah, I'm sorry. Exactly. <laughs> like, oh, I thought they had a rule that when you turned twenty, so it was if you were under twenty. <laughs> they did, you, but you know, lots of weird stuff always happens, yeah, and she right. liked power, and so. It was a bit like, oh, actually, you're not um, qualified, it turns out. And she was machinating behind the scenes yeah, to make sure right. she stayed in control. Mm. Um, but it was one of the good things about them recording all these details was that you got just a lot of blood and gore because uh, everyone, like royals were in the past, almost everywhere, everyone was quite bloodthirsty. So one of the stories that I like that was recorded was the story of Prince Sado. 
Is that the English translation? It it basically should be because he was a sad character. This was in the 1700s, and his dad was King Yongjo, who really wanted Sado to be studious and clever. Sounds like he was. (laughs) Well, sadly, he wasn't. He was actually a free spirit. He wanted to be a musician and an artist kind Mm. of type. Oh, classic. His dad thought that was super lame. Bullied him. Used to mock him in front of the eunuchs and the ladies. Not in front of the eunuchs. (laughs) No, that's so unkind. It's the worst. And it drove Sado a bit mad. Sado went maddo. And <laughs> he sort of he went from being a really gentle, sweet boy to murdering everyone. Oh, and oh. he used to walk into chambers holding severed heads of eunuchs, in fact. Um, <laughs> Guess what else I've cut off? Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so his father was then like, well, we can't have this. We can't have you inheriting. So you're going to have to die. But you're not allowed to defile the royal body by actually killing someone. Mm-hmm. So he asked his son to commit suicide. Right. And Sado, Sado though he was, was not Sado enough to commit suicide. So his dad said, okay, well then can you climb into this rice chest? And then he locked him in a rice chest and starved him to death. Wait, did he know that that was going to be locked? I guess maybe he thought really, look, I guess this has to happen. Was he put in the chest? It might have been, there might have been someone gently encouraging him with a hand. Although, the annals, you know. Yeah, if it's in the annals, then it must have happened. Otherwise it'd be like... You know, don't say that I'm shoving my son into this rice chest right now. Yeah, you're right. He got in voluntarily. Yeah. There was a place, I can't remember where it was, the tradition was that you couldn't kill the king, but you could put them in a bag and hit the bag very hard with a club. And I think that was the... Really? I think that was the Ottoman Empire, wasn't oh, was it? it the Ottomans? I'm sorry. You could yeah, beat yeah. them inside rugs sometimes, didn't you? So that you didn't couldn't spill blood. You say, I'm just beating this rug, and actually it <laughs> contains the king, or whatever. Yeah. And then you, yeah, yeah, and that was the means of um, executing very, very posh people. Right. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. there a tradition... There was a pirate tradition as well, wasn't there, of, of chest, putting people in chests. And That's treasure. <laughs> oh no. God. Dad goes back to the beach. Can't wait to take up my treasure. It's <laughs> some skeleton in there. No, it's Hook. I'm thinking of the movie Hook. Um, That's not. Right. Yeah, not really. Right at the beginning, yeah. When they put them in the boo box. The boo box. And he goes inside. The boo box. Yeah, and you'd have a slide and you'd put scorpions in and close it. Uh, we don't need to go into the details. I don't think it is historical facts. It's, uh... Interesting fact it was Glenn Close who played the male pirate. No one really knew that. Uh, uncredited, yeah. Right. Hook. Who played Hook? No, played the the pirate put in the treasure chest. Right, okay, yeah. Okay. Anyway, so... <laughs> one interesting thing about these annals is, like Andy said, they kind of would tell you the weather and stuff like that, uh, but it also would tell you whenever there was an aurora. Oh. Uh, and there was a time between 1645 and 1715, which we now sometimes call the Mini Ice Age. And we've managed to use, or not we, a guy called Jan and his team, uh, managed to use the records looking into the history books and have worked out the solar cycles that were happening around oh, that time beautiful. by the number of auroras that were recorded in the annals. That's so Isn't that cool. cool. That's amazing. And so we now know that around that time, the solar cycle was only about eight years, whereas it's normally a bit longer than that. That's incredible. I just love that cool. stuff. There's That's also awesome. UFO encounters in oh the God. Chosun dynasty, annals, <laughs> which is very exciting. Oh, so yeah. September 1609, uh, there was a reported case of things shaped like a bowl in the sky. Oh, yeah. And there's a few, and there's a few paranormal things that make it in there as well but what's really amazing i'm so excited by this i haven't seen it yet but it's obviously immediately become one of my favorite tv shows the joseon x-files it's a real tv show and it's a historical and it uses accounts from the joseon annals as the basis for each episode and there's an ancient investigator of the time who is assigned to go and investigate all of the weird paranormalities that we find in the annals what kind of things are we talking oh i just told you the ufo a bowl, a bowl, a bowl, of, a bowl shape, a crescent sky. moon sounds like yeah, 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 yeah. Who knows? I mean, it's obviously not a UFO, but it's they recorded it as unidentified stuff. There's cursed items, all that sort of stuff, and yeah, yeah it's been well, turned that's into. Well, the good, a... good thing about the annals is that it's really easy to reenact so much of what happened, so you can make an incredibly accurate historical representation. And I think historical reenactments are much more popular and common in Korea now mm. of this period because you know you know exactly what people were wearing, um, mm. exactly how they ate their meals. Like meals were described yeah. in such detail. The and the order in which meals, like the order in which different foods had to be placed on the table, it was all extremely mm. ordered mm. life, you know, ev- everything was very ceremonial. And so, you know, you'd have to bring in the sausages first and then the cabbage five minutes later. And, uh, and we know all of this. So reenactments, piece of cake. That's, That's cool. cool. Where did the piece of cake come from? <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> 
Can you guess the seven sins for which you are allowed to divorce your wife under the Joseon dynasty? So her sins, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, adultery. Wives, wives weren't allowed to divorce their husbands. Obviously. Adultery. Um, adultery is in there, yes. Uh, th- th- theft. Uh, very good. Stealing is in there, yes. Uh, inability oh. to have children is usually one of them. Yes, very good. Failure to produce a male heir. You T- can have daughters if you want, but you'll get divorced. <laughs> Touching my stuff. What I'm, what I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Not actually on there. It's been Move, an oversight. Moving the remote control from where I like it, <laughs> where I like it, next to where I sit on the sofa, <laughs> to apparently a better place next to the television. Oh, this is great. Why would you put great. it next to the television? It's a remote control. It should be remote from the place that it's beeping to. Okay, I don't know if I meant to unleash this. No, no, no this yeah. is brilliant. Don't don't you, no, don't you do one. You do no, one. I love my wife Thank and God. it's all going right. <laughs> We've <laughs> only got three so far. Uh, you've done failure to produce a male heir, adultery, stealing, or not oh, yeah. not maintaining the household properly. Um, no, that's not. Okay. Although there's excessive jealousy towards other women in the household, who I guess would often be concubines. Oh, okay. Um, so you can't. Yeah, you can divorce your wife. Bad mouthing with the friends if they were overheard, that's, spotted that's, in the annals. Yeah. I'm going to give you that talking excessively. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Any too much chat, you're gone. The last one is serious disease. Oh, <laughs> oh right. Okay. So you've got to. But I mean, I think that is irresponsible to get a bad disease when you're trying to produce a male heir. Yeah, if you've got, if your wife's got gout eyes, I'm not gonna. <laughs> mm, I'm not yeah. gonna go there. Exactly. Get rid of him, love. <laughs> so the remote control thing <laughs> stuck with. I think I might have just missed it out. Yeah, and no, I think it probably okay. was eight Okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is Anna. My fact this week is that in real life, it was difficult to free Willy because he couldn't hold his breath underwater for long enough. Hmm. This is about the film Free Willy. Which, if you haven't seen it, is a classic 90s kids movie. It's brilliant. Is it? 1993? It's so good. Yeah. It really is great. I know it's about a whale who is freed. Yeah. Yes. I feel like there is a scene where he jumps over a wall. Yes. yes. Very good. And that is the common. And it's his friend with a child who's working to free. And it's that is not a spoiler because the climactic moment of the film is on not only the title, it's also in the trailer and on the poster. It's the poster. <laughs> it's the whole thing. It's the weirdest thing. It's I like yeah, Anna Karenina having a train on the front no, cover. Yeah, it really is. Andy, it's called Free Willy. It's not called Free Willy? Question mark. <laughs> we know that the Free Willy is going to happen, surely. No, because but Free we, Willy is like an imperative, like. Free Free Willy, you don't know they obey it, do you? Oh, it's not an adjective. No, uh, no, no. no it's not. <laughs> well, actually, he starts the film as a free whale before being captured by some some rascally fishermen, you know, some scoundrels. So yeah. he starts off as Free Willy. But yeah, yeah, most of the film, he's not free. So really, to be accurate, it should have been called Captive Willy because that's the majority <laughs> of the film. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Willy is in another genre entirely yeah. in films. And he was, so this was, he was a real whale. He was called Keiko. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and he was... Um, so, yeah, there was this, this whale called Keiko. And after the film came out, basically, it was incredibly popular. Anyone who was a child in the 90s probably remembers it, seeing it, except James. Um, <laughs> yeah, and after it came out, there was this massive campaign. And, in fact, the film, at the end of it, had a number to call if you wanted to save the whales. But it was an environmental agency that you got through to. But, actually, most people who called the number or many thousands just wanted that specific whale to be free they were like but what about the actor in the film the actor who plays the whale the kid oh right (laughs) no one gave a shit about the kid he's still in captivity um so yeah there was this campaign to free keiko so they had to train this whale that had been in captivity for 15 years to learn to live in the wild and it was an incredibly arduous resource intensive process and one of the things about keiko was that couldn't hold his breath underwater and whales really need to obviously because they can't mm. breathe underwater so killer whales which he was hold their breath usually for about 15 minutes underwater uh-huh. he couldn't even make sort of three but they did manage to train him and by the time they released him he could hold his breath for 13 minutes so very good oh right but he, had, so- he had a pretty unhappy life in the wild he was used to living with humans he'd been living with humans almost all his life and he 
he was taken to Iceland and then he made his way over to Norway but he he really was pretty dependent on humans for the rest of yeah. his life he was yeah. sad it's very interesting because there's a side of, of environmentalists and people who look after animals who say this was the worst thing in the world to let him back out into the wild because of all these reasons how could he attach himself to a pod he's been fed frozen herring you know his last 13 years but the people who did it still maintain it was the best thing to do and that he was the second oldest uh, orca to live in captivity ever uh, in the time that he was in there something like 13 other orcas died um, to just show how quickly the mortality rate was yeah. um, and he did yeah exactly he might have died anyway he just died of a disease shortly after managing to be released but yeah and he hung around on the edge of a pod but yeah. it was mostly tragic or silly at least because there should have been a fund for uh, broad environmentally good reasons rather than probably a fund to just release this one whale which was fine in captivity the really sad thing is that in, fr in free willies certainly two and three the, the willy is played completely by an animatronic whale yeah. as in they like they um it's an early example of ai taking away yeah jobs <laughs> well largely in, in one it was played by a, an animatronic whale as well, well. and kind of cgi for the bits where the child is putting his hand in the whale's mouth i think they did have to have no, an, no, an artificial sorry to interrupt because yeah. i don't know this movie yeah in free willy two three and four yeah you're saying it's the same willy as in the character is the same willy he's yeah. freed but then, then what? Uh, well, so, 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 no, no, uh, yeah, please yeah. don't let me. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> in Free Willy 2, he's gone home, he's found his pod, yeah. and he's found his uh, mum, which is exciting. Yeah. I think there's an oil spill or something bad. Uh, that might be the film 3. And then it turns out, look at me jumping in front of Dan when Dan's got the entire plot in his head. And in film 3, he started a family and he's got a, a pregnant wife. Oh, so whale. he is free throughout those extra films. They he keep trying free. to capture him again, and the kid from the first movie who uh, appears in the second. So it's the same yeah. cast trying to make sure he remains free. Yeah. So by at that point, the title is an adjective. He is free willy, <laughs> yeah. yes. rather than an imperative. <laughs> and it was sad because the character, you know, meets up with his pod again and gets together with the lady whale and, get, you know, she's expecting a baby in the third film. And yet Keiko never experienced any of this. It's no. sad. Yes, yeah. it is sad. That's, That's right. really sad. And two and three has the same cast, but four, they sort of thought the story is now told, so they had to entirely recast it. And Bindi Irwin, the daughter of Steve Irwin, Crocodile Hunter, is the lead role. Get out. You no, know, I will stay free, in. free Bindi. <laughs> <laughs> and is it a different whale? I, I can't, I've seen it and I can't we've remember. we've seen Jaws 4. Yes. Which is, I think, the kid of... It's the, the descendant. It might be that, possibly. It's the kid of the original shark, which is attacking the family, <laughs> but not family by blood, family by marriage of the original people. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> and it follows them across the world. It's like through telepathy. Yeah. The shark knows about um, sort of social relationships as well as no. I stop describing it. Please. Have you heard of um, Orca the movie? While we're talking about movies, <laughs> Orca. No. <laughs> so I wondered if there was like a killer whale movie, which was a bit like Jaws. Oh right. Uh, and it turns out there is. It's called Orca the movie from 1970, whenever it was. And basically, someone had watched Jaws, seen how popular it was, and thought, <laughs> what's scarier than a shark? A killer whale. Yeah. Uh, and Incorrect, it, but okay. Oh, yeah. oh. Killer whales literally eat sharks for breakfast. Yeah. I think, killer whales uh, don't harm humans. They, they do, do in captivity. They, what? Yeah. Very, okay, uh, sorry, two instances, because we're really horrible to them. Killer mm. whales do not eat humans. I think humans, sharks, sharks, generally don't. speaking, don't eat humans. The number humans of shark either. incidents. Look, we all like Guys, our, our ocean friends, <laughs> a okay? A few people a year do get, people do get attacked by sharks. Killer yeah. whales do not attack humans What about in the all wild. the boats they've been attacking in the last year? They attack boats. They're not killing humans. Who's Who goes they on boats? Not, they humans. Not <laughs> <laughs> You're giving them either too much or too little credit, right? You're right. Yeah. Anyway, you've got an approval rating of 9%. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh, right. But Dan uh, and Natalie have seen the sequel and the second Sequel, 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 sequel. Yeah, Bob so, Owen, Steve's son, is in Orca Four. So when they were when they were auditioning for the movie, yeah. Free Willy, they auditioned lots of different whales. I don't know what the process was. Singing, I think maybe. Um, but twenty-one of the twenty-three whales they auditioned um, belonged to SeaWorld. Uh -huh. uh, and SeaWorld were apparently uncomfortable with the movie's message, which is basically, you're caging whales, you monsters. This is a, an incredibly medieval, barbaric thing to do. Yeah. And they asked at one point for a new ending. 
Yeah, uh, uh, presumably, when, when he stays <laughs> captain, he, he jumps, prefers it. Yeah, <laughs> he jumps back over the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so they got, I think they got Keiko from a Mexican sea life park. They, they did, world, which is but... quite odd because the Mexican park was in very poor condition, and the whale Keiko was in very poor condition in it. But the Mexican owners of the Mexican park were absolutely fine with the message. I right. think they were a bit like, "Yeah, no, it's shit here for the whales. You should spread the word." Wow. That was weird and, for Keiko in that Mexican park because the water. Rather than importing seawater for it to live in, they just had water which they added salt to. Like, it was really bad. I mean, in theory, that sounds like the same, but I bet it's not. It's just kind of not going to be, is it? It probably tastes weird. Seasoned water. Season your water. And the altitude's quite high up for what Keiko would have been used to. And so, (laughs) sea level, I presume. So what altitude do you normally live at, Keiko? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> he didn't live in one of those really high seas. Yeah, that's, that's the high seas that the pirates go in. That's it. Yeah. Why do you think the whales are at our alpine sea experience are not happy? <laughs> Um, here's the thing I watched a clip of it last night and actually it's amazing to uh, James uh, not included in this but when you watch it back my memory of of um, Willie going over is a phenomenal scene and watch it again they use CGI and it's really obvious when it lands in on the other side you can see the splash with kind of computer graphics early computer graphics you couldn't do water in those days could you in fact it's still hard to do water I think that's sensible though because you have got an 8 year old child actor (laughs) firing the 1300 kilo rubber whale over that take 12 we're gonna need another kid he was, and there was a stunt, as you said then there was a stunt double which was coated in 1300 kilos oh sorry that's 1300 kilos of rubber just on the outside on the outside that's yeah. just the skin and the special effects supervisor said that the dummy looked so realistic to Keiko that he became aroused when he saw it <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what happened to Keiko in the end Obviously he died. Except Brian died. Well, yes. But do not have pneumonia to... after he died. Oh. Oh, okay. Um, um, reincarnated as a uh, before rabbit. That. So, well, po- well, possibly. But he was buried. Oh, okay. Really? That poor grave digger, imagine being told that's your gig this morning. No, poor, uh, what they call the people who carry the pole bearers. (laughs) 2,000 pole bearers. Yeah, they've so weird. That was because he died in uh, Norway or off the fjord in the fjords of Norway. Mm-hmm. Right. The, normally, that you would just tow the whale out to sea and then attach a deep weight to it, and it would sink. Okay. That's and that would do. be good for the environment because animals the at the bottom of the sea exactly. can feed on it. Yeah, they didn't do that. <laughs> they they dug an enormous grave and then. Um, just slid him in. And um, is it marked? As in, has it become a yes, destination? There's a, li- there's a little cairn of stones which marks the grave. It's right next to the sea, obviously. Yeah. It's not inland. It's not, it's like not a, in a churchyard. It's not in Birmingham or anywhere. Really, really far inland. No, no, no. On top of a mountain. Oh, we always love the altitude. <laughs> yeah, but they, wow. they granted special permission. There are only seven people at the funeral, which I find very sad. How many whales? <laughs> None. Uh, um, you know, we were saying earlier about how killer whales might slam into a a boat yeah um and scientists aren't quite fully sure why that happens and there's a theory that the reason it happens is because if a boat is out at sea and it's turned its engine off mm. they think it's possible that the killer whales love going up to the back of the boat and feeling the water get propelled through the jet oh. through its propeller and it's a bit like a fun kind of like like if you're in a jacuzzi and you've like got a the, machine. Um, yeah, yeah exactly like that so if they see one and it's not on the thought is is that they're slamming into the boat in frustration to to make wow. it start and make that thing happen that they're going to. No, no one, no one knows that for sure. Well, the thing is, is if you look in the newspaper archives, you do f- see that every now and then there's a spike. Like in 1953, there was a spike mm. of if you search for orca ramming boat or killer whale mm. ramming boat, you'll see one. There was another one in 2001, and it's just I think it happens quite regularly, and. Once one of them gets in the news, a few more people are like, oh, that happened to me today, so let's get in that in the yeah, news as yeah. well. I don't know if that's true, but I'm that's... I'm sure that's part of it, yeah. definitely, yeah. They have they have periods, uh, killer whales. They're one of the only other mammals to have periods. But, um, sorry, men- they have they have menopause. 
Um, oh, okay. And they're one of the only other ma- mammals to have Quite menopause. the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they have menopause, and you get postmenopausal females. And we're not really sure why this is, why they have menopause. But it has been found that postmenopausal female orcas like to have sex with adolescent males. Okay. Young oh. males. And there's one particular. The cougars dire- of the sea. Exactly, yeah. yes. And there's a woman called Deborah Giles who's director of research. Very hands on research. <laughs> so just in case you're listening, I'm sure you don't do that. You might do that. It's fine if you do. Write in. Write in and let us know. Deborah has had nothing to do with any. Uh, she's just director of research at the Centre for Whale Research. And she. <laughs> Explains uh, the reason the old ladies are doing this to the young boys could be so it could be to provide them a bit of sex ed, Uh show them the ropes, um, show them some good moves, Um, and also (laughs) it's because um, females who are looking for a sexually active male to copulate with they reject ones that they don't think are quite up to scratch, Uh and young males when they get rejected by the female orcas get really upset and pissed off, much like a young fifteen-year-old boy who has been in front of his friends when yep. he asks out a girl and it causes tensions in the group because these young males act out and they get disruptive so the older females who are postmenopausal, so they can't they it's go and have sex with them instead like a pity a pity it's pity sex yeah wow yeah it's, it's Stifler's mum. Oh, wow. it's not so much um... <laughs> another 90s film reference for you um, killer whales yeah they like changes in altitude Um, so if you get big ships that are kind of trying to catch um, fish at the bottom of the sea then it's an easy place to get some fish if you're a killer whale basically you go down to where they're catching it if they're dredging and you might get some good oh yeah good patagonian toothfish Uh, and they found that quite recently there was an adult female killer whale who got to the depth of 1087 meters in order to get these fish uh, which is about as deep as mount snowden is high wow so that's quite a big altitude difference it's way easier to go down than to go up no i just as i said okay let's let's see you either walk to the top of snowden where by the way there's a train or (laughs) go all the way 1000 meters to the bottom of the ocean. Oh, look, I may not have the whale anatomy that makes it as easy as it is <laughs> yeah. for this No, mass. Anna, it's easier to come up, it's easier to float to the surface than yeah. it is to sink down. You have to actively push against the force of all that water. Think yeah. of the pressure down there. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm well, finding it a bit well hard, though, to visualise the Snowden reference. How many volumes of the Anna <laughs> of the Joseon <laughs> dynasty are we talking about? <laughs> Okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we've said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. James. At James Harkin. And Anna. Uh, you can email podcast.qi.com and Andy will reply. <laughs> yeah, or you can go to our group account, which is at no such thing, or our website, no such thing as a fish.com. Check out all of our previous episodes because they're up there. Also, check out the little bits of merch that we have there. And uh, also get to Club Fish, which is our secret members club where we have lots of bonus episodes, fun content, and a general amazing land called Discord where all the listeners of the club hang out and chat to each other. So do that. But otherwise, if not, come back here next week because we'll have another episode waiting for you and we'll see you then. Goodbye.